Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. Great new inventory, fabulous pre owned inventory. It is all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Time now for our play-by-play call of the day. Now Booker with Tucker on him. Throws it up for Aiton. Shot blocked by Antetokounmpo. What a block from Giannis. Chris Paul falls down and lost the ball. And you've got numbers right now if you're the Bucks. Holiday, Middleton, inside, he backs it home. Timeout, Phoenix. This building is shaking. Mike Breen with the call. Mark Jackson as well. In Milwaukee last night. Uh, Chris Paul did not play well. Middleton, when they, Middleton needed to step up in the series against the Nets when Giannis was out, or excuse me, against the Hawks. He stepped up against the Nets, too. But against the Hawks, he really played well. Last night, Giannis was not good offensively, but did a lot of really good things last night. Did a lot of really good things last night. Okay. And in the process... I mean, Giannis played really good defense. Giannis passed the ball well. The block you just heard. You know, I mean, when you're not having your best offensive night, you can figure out other ways to help your team win. And Giannis did that last night. Middleton, they needed him offensively. He had the, what, 40, 42 last night, whatever the number was. And, of course, you know, know, on these teams, like Booker, I mean, Matt says, well, they wasted his 42. They don't have a third guy, Matt. That's why these are really good teams, not great teams. Neither team has a third guy. Magic's not having a good night. I think James Worthy and Byron Scott will pick up the... Okay, There isn't a James Worthy or a Byron Scott. There's no Dennis Johnson and Robert Parrish out there. There's no third guy. So the main guys have got to do it. That's what made, uh, at least that was a game two where Bridges played pretty well. That made a gigantic difference. I mean, Aiton's not really, I mean, Aiton's getting better, but Aiton's not. He doesn't face up. He doesn't, you know, everything he does is within five, six feet of the basket. He's a really terrific athlete, but he's very limited. And Giannis is limited, too. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not pretend 19% from three. You're limited. And but let's have some fun. We'll watch watch it all the way to the end, and then maybe they'll get the game seven, and we can watch ESPN scramble to figure out what they're going to do with their with their talent. Yeah. 
And when they if they get the game seven and NBA countdowns on, you can ask yourself, Steve, you weren't watching before, will you watch now? You're probably asking that. And the answer is still no. Get the lingerie on the deck. Call the janitor. I don't watch pregame shows. I don't learn anything from them. What am I going to learn? <laughs> I mean, what am I? Tell me, Matt. What am I going to learn? Well, for me, as I've said before, it's it's all about just kind of taking in what the atmosphere is like. If you're not there, just getting you set up for it kind of getting you in, in game mode. That's kind of how I see it as. As far as information, you know, the last-minute stuff, who's in, who's out, maybe a last-minute storyline you didn't see, maybe there's something that came up, you know, th- those types of things. I figure Mike Breen, Mark Jackson, and Jeff Van Gundy can tell me that. They can, but for just for me, just the, just the way I operate, I like to know these things going into the game. Right, exactly. And you know, now you don't do this, so this is not okay. But for people who gamble, yes. You don't think that there was a rush after Woj reported that Giannis was a go for game one? Oh, no question. Right out of the game? I mean, they, um, I mean this, and I'm not, I'm not putting down gambling. I'm not doing that in any way, shape, or form. Not doing that at all. I'm just telling you that um, you know a lot of this inside information stuff, which is valuable, no getting around it. But like, let's face it, these days it's now it's now going to sportsbook or DraftKings or whatever you want to be. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, I mean, that's what the appeal is going to be. Who's in and who's out? That's what the appeal is going to be. Um, I have nothing on the game. I figure the play-by-play guys can tell me what's going on. Like I said, I don't learn anything from the pregame show. You know, show me how to run the pick and roll. I think we got that. I think I've announced enough of them in my lifetime. I don't really have to have to find out about it, do you? Yeah, no. Or they you know, they probably have a story on somebody. You well, we do enough stories on this show, for example. And we did one uh, with Raven Sample yesterday, right? We did. That's a great. That's a great story. Absolutely, so doing stories is great, but that doesn't mean I'm going to be interested in. You know. You know I mean, I I don't watch the Super Bowl pregame show, ever. As you know, I mean, I tune in right about you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of when before or after the national anthem is played because it's like it's game time. I just want to watch the game. Stuff leading up to the game, no interest.
But that's me. That is not okay. That's you know. That's me. It's not you. I just don't. That's why this whole thing about the whole pregame show and the, you know, the the back and forth and like, it's all that kind of drama. Yeah. I have no interest in it. None. Now, if I'm related to Maria Taylor or I'm friends with her or whatever, I got big interest. Or Rachel Nichols, I got big interest. But I don't know these people. I think Maria we've had in the show. I think Maria Taylor we had in the show a couple of years ago. Very, very nice. Very smart. And, yeah, you know, when she's on, she does a good job when she's on. But, you know. I'm not, you know, I'm not into that drama either. So it's that doesn't. I'm not into much drama anymore. You love drama. That's why you're a Yankee fan. There's lots of drama. Uh oh, they got a runner on base, and he might run. Oh, drama. He's going to get thrown out. What do you think? I, I know he's going to get thrown out. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have, what, more base running outs than anybody in Major League Baseball, right? Oh, I yeah, it's bad. First. That, double plays, yeah. you name it. Yeah. Well, part of it, part of the base running thing goes back to what I talk about many times. It's just so discounted today, and I don't get it. I, I understand the... I understand the importance of numbers. So whether it's a spin rate or whether it's how fast you are from first to third or how you run the 40 or, you know, you know, how do you do a cone drill in, in, you know, in basketball, you know, things like that, right? That's all really important. It really is. There's no getting around it. And having great athletes is important in any sport. This makes a di- such a difference, but you have to have people that know how to play. I mean, honestly, you watch the Yankees and some of the base running mistakes they make. Yeah, you sit back and you ask yourself, how many of these guys know how to actually play? Like, wow. I mean, to be honest with you, the Phillies, the Phillies like take bait. I mean, the Phillies. Actually, are a pretty good base running team. They really are. Um, Dodgers are a really good base running team. The Red Sox are a really good base running team, and that doesn't mean they're going to be perfect. I mean, they have sometimes got a guy thrown out, something like that. Sure, that happens. But the bottom line is that. We're forgetting sometimes in our scouting about guys that really know how to play. So I was talking to a scout, major league, a major league scout, who, by the way, wanted Luke's social security number. Was it okay I gave it up? He also said something about the suits 401k. I gave him that number too. And yeah, you know, I just try and be helpful. Was that bad? S U I T. That spells suit. Right. Da. And he was asking me about a particular player, and I'll tell you which player it was. It was Kenny Piper. Piper ended up being the 18th round pick of the Tampa Bay Rays. And by the way, this was not the Rays guy I was talking to. I'm not going to tell you which team it was. 
And he said, I just want, want your opinion. You've been around the game for a long time. He says, you see him every day. What do you think of him? I said, well, let's start with the basic premise. The guy knows how to play the game. I said, you watch him on the bases. He knows when not to take the extra base. He knows when to take the extra base. Right? He knows in base running situations behind the plate. I said, how to handle base running situations from behind the plate. He said he calls his own game. He's not taking signs from the dugout. He calls his own game. I said, he's just got a really good feel for the game. I said, now. I said, there are other things that you guys see, obviously. But that would be, you know, he's got pop in his bat. He run, you know, he steal, He can steal a base. I mean, he was six for eight in stolen base attempts this year. I said, he's got some speed. I said, but I went through all the stuff that he, where he knows how to play the game. I said, I said, this guy understands how to play the game of baseball. I said, you're going to pick up an extra step. You're going to pick up an extra out because of a guy like that. Now we'll find out how far he's able to go in this. I mean, he's in the Tampa Bay organization, which brings with it the possibility of moving through the ranks. And I mean, because Tampa Bay is a really good organization, but that was the bottom line, knowing how to play. I mean, you know, many times I'm doing a basketball game, for example. And I'll see a guy just run into a double team and then stop. Okay. Well, he'll do one of two things. He'll try and run through the double team and the foul's called and it's on him. Or he'll get there and like, "Uh uh-oh, I committed myself to something I can't finish and stop, and then turn around and panic and then throw a two-foot bounce pass to a teammate. He'll sit there and go, what are you doing? Why did you do that? You know, and I'll look at whomever my broadcast partner is, whether it's Dick or whether it's Jack, and the two of us will look at you like, what was that? That's why you really appreciate people who are, you know, really terrific athletes, but also really know how to play the game. I know I talk a lot about that lately, but I'll give you an example. The Braves are playing a game. We talk about Yankee base running, so let's go to the Braves. That way it takes all the pressure off Matt. Okay. And this is when, obviously when Acuna was still playing. Acuna's on second. He's the tying run. He tries to steal third. Why? Why are you trying to steal third? With your speed, a base hit's going to get you in. Now he's probably thinking a sacrifice fly, whatever. Hey, look, you don't run yourself into an out at third base. You don't do that. He's thrown out. Chance to tie the game goes by the boards. Dansby Swanson... An inning later, does the same thing. Like, you're looking around like, does anybody here know how to play the game? It's stuff like that where you sit back and say, I don't get it. You know, you're trying to force them into doing something. These are major league players. You know, minus Gary Sanchez being the way. But these are major league players, major league catchers. Sanchez has had a good year. You know it. Admit it. Oh, I admit it. At on the uh, at the plate, he has. He's had a good year. He's actually had a good year behind the plate. He's actually worked pretty hard at it. Yes. Overall, for the most part, he's been better. Yes. I was talking to him, and I brought your name up. He says, overall in the air, he thinks you're getting better. 
Well, good. It's great. It's great to see the two of you mutually respect one yeah, another. Yeah, I respect that. You know, it means a lot to me to see people come together. <laughs> come back with more in a moment. Great to have you with us today on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Motors. Miles Powell, who was a terrific player at Seton Hall, I think he was the Bees Player of the Year, is now suing Seton Hall, head coach Kevin Willard, and director of sports medicine Tony Testa, claiming that the school allowed him to play with a knee injury, which ultimately ruined his chances at an NBA career. He filed the suit in Jersey. Claims the University, Willard, and Testa, with negligence as well as breach of fiduciary duty, and Seton Hall with breach of contract. Powell claims that Testa termed a nagging knee injury as a mere bone bruise, failing to properly diagnose a torn meniscus. Instead, he injected Powell with a painkiller that allowed him to compete. Powell also claims that the defendants knew that he had suffered not just an ankle injury and a concussion during the season, but a lateral meniscus tear to his right knee, which should have necessitated him sitting out the rest of the season. He goes on to claim that professionals connected to several NBA teams suspected or discovered that the pilot had a serious knee injury, which is why he went undrafted in 2020. The lawsuit does erroneously identify Testa as both the director of sports medicine and team physician. Testa is the school's director of sports medicine, but he is an athletic trainer, not an MD. Anthony Festa is one of two team physicians per the University Media Guide, and his own bio on the uh, New Jersey Orthopedic Institute says that Festa has served as Seton Hall's team physician since 2008. Dane O'Neill was the one that wrote that story. That's a wow moment. Suing them. The Mets, by the way, are going to wear their black jerseys um, for the first time since 2012. They're going to wear them against the Reds July 30th and for all remaining Friday home games. Matt's buying tickets now. (laughs) Bradley Beal is out of the Olympics. Won't play in Tokyo Health and Safety Protocols. In the Big 12, when you want to put down Texas, instead of the Hook'em Horns, players have been looking at players with the horns down. That's now going to be a penalty for taunting. Greg Popovich, by the way, I'm Bradley Beal. He says, I'm dying for him. We all are. Since he was a little kid, this has been a dream of his. He was playing great. 
He was having fun being a part of us coming together chemistry-wise. It's devastating. Again, you know, that's what people don't realize. I mean, and for a guy like Bradley Beal, his odds of winning an NBA title at the moment in his current circumstance are long. Here's a chance to be a part of a gold medal winning team playing for your country. That's tough. That really is tough. It's, it's sorry to hear that. Matt didn't care. I told him the story. He said, so what? <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> be like somebody saying Luke Catrillo can't be in the Olympics and somebody in Costa Mesa, California saying, so what? Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf, or online at sunburymotors.com. Anytime I get an opportunity to spend time either in person or on the radio with Jerry Dulac, I jump at it. My friend, welcome back. Great to have you with us. Well, Steve, uh, thanks, and uh, you know it's always good chatting with you, and it's always good to chat with you about some golf. Yeah, let's talk about some golf, because it is fun to wake up and watch golf (laughs) in the morning, which which is the Open Championship. Jordan Spieth was obviously tremendous today, as was Louis Oosthuizen. In what you've been able to gather about Spieth, what has allowed him to turn this corner and get himself really back on a contending track? You know, I think he, um, Steve, he was always very open about, and sometimes too much of an open book, but he's always very open about where his game was and his confidence level was. And even when he started to turn the corner, he had said that, you know, he he just still didn't think that he was there. And he said as, as, as long as he keeps putting himself in contention, that then, you know, on a regular basis, then he'll feel he is there. And he basically, that's what he has been doing. Now, you know, he did win. He's had uh, uh, six top tens, I think, since uh, March, which is more than anybody else on, on tour. A um, couple of those, uh, you know, a couple second places and a third. We've seen him have three 54-hole leads. He only finished off one of them. But he's put himself up there. And, and that despite being an errant driver. Um, you know, his driving statistics aren't very good. Um, but when he's, you know, rolling the potato and putting well, <laughs> then that's that's made up for uh, a lot. And that's what he did today, too. Um, he, he hit it okay. He's such a good iron player. And that's a big key with him. Even with his, even with his wayward driver, um, you know, he's as good, if not better, than anybody else on tour uh, with his iron game and his proximity to the pin is uh, has always been, for the most part, uh, among the best on tour. So I think, you know, getting some of that confidence back, he's still so darn fidgety out there. He makes you nervous because he's always talking to himself after every shot. I think he expects perfection. But I think that's what, I think that's what drives him. Um, is he's always, I don't want to say he's never satisfied, because that's not the case, but I think he's always looking to get a little bit better, but also believing in what he does. Um, and he's just hes just so good for the game. I mean, 
uh, you know, take Tiger out of the mix and take Mickelson out of the mix, and nobody in America moves the needle or draws bigger crowds, even Bryson DeChambeau, than, than Jordan Spieth. Rory McIlroy has that impact. DeChambeau has it for a different reason. But Jordan Spieth is just so good for the game. Um, as you know, I'm a big fan of his as a person and as a player. And I thought he would do well here because it's a type of golf course where you have to be able to think your way around, but more importantly, be creative as you're thinking your way around. And we saw that today. Why? What has allowed Oosthuizen to be in the thick of every major this year? Now, he's a former major winner himself. But what, what do you think has allowed him to do that? What have you seen? Yeah, and, you know, Steve, he's won the Grand Slam of runner-up finishes. He's finished runner-up six times in a major, and including uh, uh, once in, in each of the four. Um, so he's working on a, on a second Grand Slam of runner-up finishes. Um, you know, when he blew away the field at St. Andrews um, back in 2000 or whatever year that was, I mean, it was just a dominating performance, and it was amazing after he did that that he did so little after that. Um, but when the majors come along, uh, you know, a lot of it, a lot of it is his approach. You know, he doesn't get bogged down with too much, and that's reflective in his swing. It's so natural. It's so easy. You know, he spends. He, he's not out on tour playing 25, 28 events. You know, he's selective about where he plays. You know, he's a farm boy. He owns two farms, one overseas and one here in Florida. And he goes and rides his tractor. You know, he has a little bit of that Bruce Litsky in him, um, who would, you know, when he left tour, would, would never pick up his clubs till he came back out, whether it was four weeks, six weeks, two weeks, five weeks. And I think Louis the same way. And so his approach, uh, you know, it's, it's a little carefree. Does he want to win? Absolutely. Does it bother him when he doesn't? I'm sure it does. But he just, you know, he just has uh, that that type of um, mental attitude and that approach where he doesn't get bogged down in too much, win or lose, because he knows if he's in contention, eventually he's going to win. Now, he, he, that hasn't happened all the time, despite all those runner-up finishes in majors. But he's putting himself there, and so he knows he knows he can go win a major. He knows he can compete because he does it as we have seen time after time. And I think the funny thing is, is every major, Steve, you never see him one of the betting pairs, and yet he's always no. on the board. And I have to admit, even when I start doing my picks, who I like in all these majors, I almost never pick Louie, and I don't know why. <laughs> because when well, the tournament starts, I think, why didn't I put Ustazen in my list of uh, contenders? Because, because he's he not, always contends, he's, and yet he, he's, you never see him as, a, as an odds maker. Uh, you know, you can always get great odds on the guy, and that's what's surprising. I think because he's not going to be the guy who will be the absolute longest. He'll hit it long enough, but he won't be the yeah. longest guy. He won't be the best putter out there, but he'll putt well enough. He won't be the best iron player, but he'll play his irons well enough. It's because he's not considered the best, I think, in anything that makes you forget him. That's my opinion. Yeah, that, that might be, sure, that might be part of it. And I think the fact that he hasn't finished it off. Um, and we're seeing Tommy Fleetwood, to a different degree, kind of fall into that same category. After a while, they all say, yeah, this guy's going to win, this guy's going to win, this guy's going to win. And, and the more times that happens, and then they don't, then they start to fall off the radar a little bit. Xander Schauffele still yes. gets the attention, despite the fact he hasn't won. And at some point, he's going to have to win. But if so many top ten and top five finishes, 
in like the last dozen majors, um, you know, he's still a guy who's in everybody's office pool, if you will, or is among the top five betting favorites typically. You know, Justin Thomas has only one major, and that was the PGA. Now he has a player's championship, and he has a, a lot of tour victories. But, you know, at some point, now he has plenty of time on his side, of course, but at some point those guys are going to have to, like Shoffley in particular, they're going to have to start winning. And um, uh, otherwise they'll kind of fall off that betting radar, if you will. And it's like I said, that's what you see uh, uh, now with uh, Tommy Fleetwood. That's what happened to Lee Westwood. You know, one of the best players, won the order of merit so many times. He was Europe's best player. Um, and, but he, he couldn't win majors. A lot of top fives, a lot of top threes, but he didn't win. And so people thought, you know, he can't win. And then, of course, we saw that with Sergio, and then Sergio goes and wins. So you have to be able to finish, and Louie at least finished one time. But so many runner-ups, um, you know, I, 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 but I'm always just amazed that he's never considered one of the betting favorites. Even now when he's doing what he's doing, you would think he'd be up there with, with some really good, with some low odds. And he just not. You could really get some good odds with Louis Eustace. Well, over over years, a guy that would have fallen to that category is Ricky Fowler. Yeah. Oh, right, well, there's another one. That's right. Yeah, I mean, there's another I mean, one. He shot one, he shot one under to open. So, I mean, at least he's yeah, got now, himself on the board. And Ricky Ricky has a player's championship. So, they yep. can always, they always fall back on that. But, but there's no question. I mean, and look, the guy makes millions in endorsements, and God bless oh. him because he's a nice guy, and he has great appeal, and the kid and the young kids love him. Um, but you know, he's as um, uh, as my old uh, friend Bino Cook used to say, he's all hat, no cowboy. <laughs> and um, you know, at some point in time, Ricky's going to have to win a major. And you know what? I don't see that happening. I'm not saying it won't. I don't see that happening anytime soon, although you'd like to see it happen because he's a good guy and everybody likes it. I love the fact you quoted Bino. <laughs> oh, Bino, Bino's the greatest. I'd quote more of Bino, but some of it we can't use on the show. Oh, you and I know that. <laughs> right, right. You and I know that. Uh, yeah. The Como you know, Rapids. You know, when I used to call Bino, when I used to call Bino, Steve, he would always answer the phone and say, McGarrett 5 <laughs> That's how he answered the phone, and you know he didn't oh. know who was calling. He just that's oh, it. he answered not. his landline phone. You know, oh my goodness, over in the what he stayed in what the Bigelow, yes, the uh-huh. hotel, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Cobra rep cannot be enamored today with Bryson DeChambeau. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he had four out of fourteen fairways today. He spent a lot of time in the uh, um, in the high grass today, uh, trying to avoid Lyme disease. Um, and then he ripped his driver. Not exactly what you I mean. He's, he, he parts ways with his caddy. Now he's he's ripping his rep. I think that's why um, some of the people don't like Bryson. Obviously. He's a sideshow that people like to come see. Um, you know, he tries to be courteous to the fans. You know, he waves, uh, you know, nods. You know, he makes a bogey. They clap. He still gives them the high sign. Does, you know, but he, there's different things that he says and he does that make it sound, well, they, they, they sound like excuses. And, um, and and I think that's, I think those are the things that kind of turn off some of the players who uh, maybe don't like him. Uh, and, um, I, I mean, 
you know, Bryson's worked very hard to change the way, not only the way he plays, but maybe the way the game is played. Um, and we saw other players try to emulate it, much to their uh, disappointment because it didn't work, including Rory. Um, but, yeah, I mean, but, you know, hey, Bryson has U.S. Open title. He has six PGA Tour mm-hmm. titles. And, um, you know, he's he's a contender. Um, but I think it's when, when some of those things happen like that, um, I think it turns, you know, Steve, I think it turns people off. Well, I, I think that something that I, to me is really important uh, when it comes to being a contender in major championships, so you can't be a, quote, one-trick pony. I think the, you have to find, especially in this championship, I think there's just multiple ways to win, and you have to find multiple ways to win. That's why I like Spieth so much, because I think Spieth finds ways to win. Well, And, and he's shown it by winning, um, you know, three of the four biggest majors. Um, including the British Open in, in 2017, the last American to win it. Um, yeah, and, and that goes to his ability, you know, and he should have, I mean, that three-year stretch at the Masters where he lost to Bubba when he had the lead heading to the back nine, and then the dominating performance the following year, and then when he's leading for 63 holes and then puts it in the water on, um, or 67 holes or whatever it was, and then puts two in the water on 12, um, that year when Danny Willett won, um, you know, that stretch of golf there at the Masters, which requires the ultimate in creativity, yep. um, you know, that just speaks to, to his talent, and he did it at such a young age. Um, I mean, but you know, obviously he can win at different courses, and he has shown that in the biggest tournaments on different courses. Uh, you know, go back to the Tour Championship, too, where he blew the mm-hmm. field away there. And then twice in uh, once in Hawaii, and, uh, you know, he has... He probably has as many eight-shot victories other than Tiger than any player on tour, I would mm-hmm. be willing to bet. Um, but, uh, but you know, I think that's why he's so, he's so good, because he's so talented, because his game adapts. And, you know, you talk about one-trick ponies. I mean, you look at, like, Andy North, who won two U.S. Opens, who's a frequent guest on my show, and yep. I like Andy a great deal. It's two U.S. Open titles. How many guys can say that? But he doesn't have any other victories. Two U.S. Opens, you know? Yeah. And, 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 you know, how do you explain that? How do you explain Orville Moody winning a, a U.S. <laughs> yeah. Open and never winning another PGA Tour event, you know? Um, and I think, I think you can see somebody, because we saw it with Ben Curtis. We saw it with Darren yeah. Clark, you know, unexpected mm-hmm. winners. I could see that happening here, too. Uh, guys... Yeah. You know who maybe don't think could win. Um, uh, you know will win. Now I think some of the English guys have good opportunities. I'm glad to see Justin Rose get off to a good start because I, I'd like to see him contend, and I think he will. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see an unlikely winner in a British Open because you see him from time to time, and you've seen him at Royal St. George. I'm going to ask you one last question because I want to tap into the historical part of this and your relationship with Arnold Palmer. In the United States, Arnold Palmer put the Open on the map, put it back on the map, because he decided to go over. And not only did he go over, he won it a couple times. In your conversations with him over the years, what was it that motivated him to say, you know what, I'm going to do this? Because as the Pied Piper... Others then followed. Yeah, I think I think with Arnold, it was the 
um, desire to have his game travel. And you go back to 1960, where he had won the Masters, and he won the U.S. Open. And he thought, I'm going over to the British Open, back when not many American players went because of the expense, because of the travel. Let's face it, the travel's a lot easier now. It wasn't then. Um, the time change and everything. And Arnold thought, you know, if he wants to be the best, then he's going to go play on a world stage. And the British Open was the oldest of the majors, the most revered, if you will. And, um, you know, he thought if, he's gonna, if he wants to be that player, that person, then he's going to go over there and play and win, and he eventually did. The story I love, Steve, in 1960, was it had really not a whole lot to do with Palmer, but it did in this regard. After he wins the Masters and he wins the U.S. Open, he's going over to the British Open again when not many Americans went. So Bob Drum was the old sports writer for the Pittsburgh Press. Mm -hmm. And so he wants to tell the people at the press, hey, look, I need to go to the British Open. This kid Palmer from Latrobe has won the Masters. He's won the Open. He's trying to make it three in a row. I need to go. Well, they weren't going to pay for him to go. So he still went on his own, although I do believe Arnold took him because they were, right. they were good friends. Right. It was Drum who, in 60 at Cherry Hills, who told Arnold after 54 holes they were having lunch, and Arnold says, Brent Drum, do you think I can win? He says, you don't have a chance. And that's when <laughs> Arnold went out and drove the first green and then came back and won. And he credits Drum for ticking him off by telling him, you know, no, you don't have a chance. And so he went out and won. So now I believe, like I said, that he took Drum to the British Open. Well, sure enough, after the third round, Arnold's trailing Cale Nagel by a shot, the Australian. Yeah. And Drum gets uh, a telegram from the people at the press. It says, need 800 words on Palmer. He sends back, hope you get them. Because he thought, if you're not sending me, I'm not writing about him. <laughs> and Good. I always remember uh, that story. Good. And that, that, that's a little sidebar to, to Arnold going to the British Open in 60. Yeah, and then Kel Nagel won. Then eventually, Arnold, right. then be, then eventually Arnold beat Kel Nagel. That's right. Uh, later. Right. So, yep. What a pleasure. I enjoy it always. Hope you're doing well, my friend. Yeah, Steve, I, I, I am, and it's always good chatting with you, and uh, I hope we can do it again soon. As we'll all. do it soon again, especially with the Steelers coming up. So we're looking forward Ab to that. Absolutely. Stay well, my friend. You too. Jerry Dulac, Post-Gazette, Steelers pregame, postgame. One of the best in the business. Need 800 words on, on Arnold. Reply. Hope you find them. <laughs> you didn't pay to send them. Yeah? Suit looks over at many of his broadcast partners over the year. What do you think? You didn't pay me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Get the lingerie on the deck. Call the janitor. <laughs> yeah. Now you got Dave Ritchie being paid to be there, but the suit never lets him talk. All right, back with more in a moment. <laughs> Here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. No good! No good! No good!
Bruce, the Yankees and Red Sox will not play tonight. Uh, the Yankees have a COVID issue, although everybody that has tested positive has um, uh, they're asymptomatic. Now, how many did? It could be one, could be two, whatever. Well, actually, this just came in. Brian Cashman just said, we have three positives and three pending. Pendings are a rapid testing, all players. Okay. Well, that happens. I mean, it's, it happens at the beginning of what's a four-game weekend series, which gives them flexibility on when to play a doubleheader. So to me, while, yes, it's important, it's, quote, not a big deal because of that. They have flexibility to make it up. It also gives the Yankees time if they need to call people up to play from uh, Scranton Wilkesbury. Today's show has been brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kier, it's 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Sunbury Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years.